Welcome back to the advent. Uh, wait a second. <laughs> hey, paisanos, it's the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. That's better. Welcome to the advent calendar house. A salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. And today you're in for a treat, so hang on to your seat. We are warping back to 1989 to jump into two Christmas segments of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I am tiny, selfish, mushroom baby Mike Westfall, and joining me is another fun guy. Fresh out of retro detention, it's Adam Pope. Welcome back, Adam. Hey, paisanos! <laughs> Glad to be back. <laughs> Great. So I believe you have an old write-up you wanted to talk about from Nintendo Power Magazine, previewing the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I absolutely do. Take so it away. this is... Yeah, this is from the July slash August issue, 1989 Nintendo Power, and it's very exciting. In the back, they are celebrating this premiere of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. And of course, they give you the basic rundown of what it's all about. You know, you know them, you love them, you can't live without them. And now the world's most famous sibling plumbers are heading your way in a bright new television series. It's called the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and should delight audiences of all ages, right? So and they basically give you the the explanation of, you know, it's the animation part of the series will remain faithful to the Super Mario Brothers game world and will basically pick up on the boys' adventures where the games leave off. So really, yeah, it's a sequel to Super Mario Brothers 1 and 2, unless, you, you know, obviously just a dream, but... Um, <laughs> But what was exciting is they talk about uh, the show is under the direction of producer-director Stephen Binder and his team. They are the same group that brought you Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh. The animation's being created by the wizards at Deke. Their past efforts include the real Ghostbusters and ALF cartoon series. So quite a pedigree here. <laughs> they said the result should be nothing short of spectacular. Well, then. That was my first issue of Nintendo Power, now that I think back. Oh, wow. That's a great one to get in on for sure. You got yes. uh, Mega Man 2 on the cover. Yep. And, yeah. I didn't keep mine. Was that, Is that your copy from 31 years ago? No, no, no. I, oh, I picked okay. this up recently. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember if I got this one at a RetroCon or not. But yeah, I got one or two issues there a few years back. Yeah, I didn't keep mine. They were all recycled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tommy Treehugger would be proud. <laughs> I only had a subscription for one year, so my, oh, wow. okay. my issues were, were few and far between. That was my first issue. Well, let me start. The NES was a gift from my dad when he was a year younger than I am now. <laughs> oh, but I was instantly hooked, and all my interests now revolved around all things Nintendo to the point where... When I read they were making a Super Mario Brothers show, I made sure I rushed home off the school bus, plopped myself in front of the TV so I wouldn't miss it. Now, did you catch this on day one? Oh, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, I mean, because I, I was uh, fairly similar in that, you know, I was I was only three when the NES premiered, but I was like six in 1988, got it for Christmas. The first games obviously pack in with Super Mario Brothers, but then also NES Golf. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nobody in my family golfed. Nobody played any sports of any kind. I don't know why that was the game they chose to include uh, <laughs> in addition to. But so that was an interesting morning. And then, yeah, right after that, I was just all in and it became the experience of even though my library was fairly small, I probably only had maybe seven or eight games ever for the NES that that I owned, mm -hmm. but you just went to everybody's house oh, and yeah. checked out their stack of games. And that was what it was all about. That was the ultimate social experience back in the day was playing Nintendo with somebody. It really was like after school, we would just go to someone else's house and play their games because they all we all had a different collection. It seemed mm -hmm. I uh, tended toward things like Legend of Zelda and Mega Man and those series. And then I had uh, my next door neighbor had things like Marble Madness and TNC Surf Design. So I would always love going over there and checking out those games. And it was always interesting to test out the licensed games based on movies at somebody's house and realize you <laughs> did not want to purchase them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I back saved to the myself. future? No, thank you. Oh, you man. Know. Yeah. I had a friend who bought Back to the Future. Oof. 
Oof, that was a bad one. I didn't realize until maybe the last couple of years that the really high tempo music of that was like a really sped up version of the power of love. Yeah. Uh, that blew my mind. <laughs> but when we were talking about doing this episode, you also teased to me that you have a special connection to this show. Tell me about that. I do. So obviously, like as soon as Super Mario Brothers Super Show was premiering on television, I was there. I was excited. I watched it. I remember Nicole Eggert on the first episode and be like, I can't believe it from Charles in Charge. I love her. Um, And so basically what I did was I, I was there. I would watch it. I would enjoy it. And in my area, I grew up in Southern California, and so I was watching it on Fox Channel 11 out of Los Angeles, okay. and they started up a companion show that would go on after the Super Mario Brothers Super Show called King Koopa's Cool Cartoons. <laughs> I know about this, but I only only through internet memories and retro junk. Right. I mean, there are very few people that experienced it firsthand. And like I say, it was just it was only in the Los Angeles market that they were testing it and it didn't really pick up. But the basic format of the show, it was like Bozo the Clown elsewhere, which we didn't have in, yeah. the, in the Southern California area, but a lot of other people did. But it was essentially like a kid's show. You had a peanut gallery, so to speak, of kids in the audience, and then a guy in a full King Koopa costume. It was live action. He had like prosthetics, basically, and he had a, you know, he basically looked straight out of the cartoon series. And, you know, he's all surly and would talk to the kids in the he had a little puppet called Ratso that was his dog. <laughs> and and it, I mean, it, it was really weird because it was a pretty short show. And the whole point of it was literally just to give away Nintendo merchandise. So you would win, you know, a Nintendo or a Power Glove. I was going to say Nintendo, not officially a Nintendo product. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> or, uh, you know, the newest video game, whatever it was. And you could write in and enter the giveaway. Way, and then you'd watch every day to see if you got called, you know, and that you were the one who won. And it was super exciting. So my personal connection, aside from watching this bizarre show that only lasted a few months, was that um, I had a friend who got to go to every live concert based on our favorite cartoons. Every live event, he went to it and never invited me. You know, so the, <laughs> the He-Man She-Ra Power Tour, he was there. You know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out of their shells tour, he was there. And I would go to his house and look through his programs. And I was like, oh, these are so cool. Why didn't you take me? And then the ultimate insult was I'm watching King Koopa's cool cartoons after school one day. And there's my friend Brent with another friend of ours from school sitting in the audience of King Koopa's cool cartoons. And <laughs> I was so upset. I mean, oh, they, had these, they had these hats that were like King Koopa's head that they gave all the kids to wear. Yeah, and I'm you looking got a at this. They, they, yeah. look, they look like Grouch Kateers is what they reminded me of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was like, that was just the most disheartening moment. And I just, I questioned our friendship after that. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the only thing I know about this are, are very quick YouTube clips that happen to be uploaded and uh, fact on the Wikipedia page for it that at one point in time, King Koopa was played by Christopher Collins, the voice of Cobra Commander, <sighs> which I'm going to have to bring up again because I've got a G.I. Joe episode coming down the pipe, folks. Well, wait, wait a minute. Now I have to fact check that. Isn't Chris Latta? Isn't that his name? That's his given name, and then he, um, I don't know if he was adopted and he picked up his adopted family's name or like a stepfather or something like that, but... Interesting. But but same guy. So I'm learning something. There you go. Uh, While we're talking about the cast, now's a good time to dive into it for the Super Show proper, so... uh, Were you already familiar with Captain Lou Albano before he was Mario? Mario, ooh, uh, goodness. <laughs> hey, that, now that brings up another question before I answer that. So I know you're from back east originally. So did you grow up saying Super Mario Brothers or I Super did. Mario Brothers? I did, and I thought I broke the <laughs> habit until right now. My kids all say Mario Kart. 
But oh, yeah. it comes back so quickly. Yeah, because all my cousins are in New Jersey. So when I would go to visit, it was yeah. all, hey, let's play Super Mario. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, but no, I definitely knew Captain Lou because I was all in on WWF programming for sure. Especially, I know he had a guest spot once on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon. Oh, yeah. And I had the LJN Captain Lou figure. Did you? Yeah, I was actually lucky enough. My friend from school, I would always go over to play at her house, but I was there because her brother had the ring and all the LJN wrestling superstars. And so I would ask to play with those. And after going over there for a year and every time asking, he he was in high school by then. And he said, you know what? You should just have these. You love these so much. So I was, so, I got a whole collection. I got the ring. It was the happiest day, you know, in, uh, in contrast to the King Koopa's cool cartoons incident. That was a, a day of elation. There we go. I was definitely familiar with him um, between WWF and the Goonies are good enough video. And then I remember Captain Lou had a wrestling hotline 1-900 number that you could call. I never called it, but I absolutely remember the commercials for it. It's 1-900-909 for Lou. I'm bringing you the best of wrestling celebrity news. Captain Lou hotline. It's 1-900. Captain Lou hotline. 1-900-909 for Lou. <laughs> Which is, it's his, you realize he actually was doing a persona as Captain Lou, because he always looked so confused and flustered, like he was losing his mind when he was Captain Lou. Yeah. And then you see him as Mario, and you're like, hey, you know, he's kind of got it together here. He's got a regular sounding voice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, go at this point, going into this, I thought I knew what Mario was going to sound like, but he ended up sounding a lot less grovelly than what I was used to in the wrestling promos. Uh and then, of course, we have Luigi, played by Danny Wells, who before this was best known from the Jeffersons as Charlie the Bartender. Right. And that's all I ever knew him from, although I, I was kind of looking over his IMDb. I was like, hey, he had, you know, quite a career. He made it. He had, did a lot of other TV, but it was always like one off guest spots, you know? Yeah. Very prolific character actor throughout his life. Uh, died in 2013, which coincidentally was Nintendo's year of Luigi. Mm hmm. So the show had two Christmas segments, but strangely, there weren't or they weren't originally part of the same episode and neither aired in December. But later they did bunch together on VHS. And so today we're going to cheat a little bit. We're only going to talk about these Christmas segments. Starting with the live action half, Santa Claus is coming to Flatbush. And I need to take issue with that title, because while Flatbush is a neighborhood in Brooklyn, I don't think that's where the Mario Brothers live in this. We have a few clues in the background that give us a better idea of where exactly they're located. First, we have that establishing shot of Mario Brothers plumbing with the plunger sign outside their building, and it shows the Brooklyn Bridge in the background. Now, Flatbush is in central Brooklyn, not quite that close to the bridge. Secondly, inside their basement apartment is kind of a partially knocked down wall on the other side, which appears to be a defunct subway station with signs pointing to Water and Dock Streets. Water and Dock is a real intersection about a block east of the Brooklyn Bridge in the neighborhood now known as Dumbo, which stands for Down Under Manhattan Bridge Overpass. Manhattan Bridge is about three blocks east of this intersection, so... That's where the set designers envision Mario and Luigi live. Unfortunately, they didn't tell the writers who decided to go with Flatbush. Well, now we don't know that maybe this special guest landed in Flatbush and walked his way maybe. to where the Mario Brothers live. Yeah, Perhaps. Maybe that's where his transportation is because that he says it gets lost. But yeah. while we're talking about the set, I know it's supposed to look like this rundown basement next to the subway, but I always thought their place looked like a really cool place to live. It really was kind of eclectic in that they had a bathtub, I believe, that they were growing corn stalks in with <laughs> yes. a scarecrow. <laughs> and then they had all their different pipes, like you said, stick it out because they're underground. It's some, some type of basement apartment. So, yeah. Or at least I'd want to stay there for a bit. They should totally set up Airbnb when they're away in the Mushroom Kingdom. Oh, that's got to be the next pop-up restaurant. There you go. The Mario Brothers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Mario Brothers plumbing. 
Get your spaghetti, get whatever you need. Garbanzo bean soup. <laughs> anyway, we open with Luigi on Christmas Eve polishing his own boots to give Mario as a Christmas gift because business has been really rough this year. Well, don't worry, Luigi. It's winter in New York. Pipes are going to freeze and you should be back in business soon. But for now, we hear Mario coming home. Luigi tells him to wait outside while he wraps his gift in an old newspaper and places it under their tiny little Charlie Brown tree. And when Mario's allowed in, we learn Luigi's boots will be a thoughtful gift because Mario mentions... It's awful cold out there, but with these all worn-out old boots, if I stepped on a dime, I could tell you if it's heads or tails. If I could only find a dime to step on. Mario went to pick up dinner, comes in with a large grocery bag, and all that's inside it is all they could afford. It's uh, two garbanzo beans. That's all we could afford. But don't worry, they plump up when you cook them. (laughs) So with these gags to set up just how bad their business has been, Adam, did you assume, as I did, that these live-action segments in Brooklyn are supposed to take place before they find their way to the Mushroom Kingdom? It was strange, right? They never, ever talked about the Mushroom Kingdom, about any type of adventure. It was literally just, ah, this is our life. We're Mario and Luigi. We haven't had any adventures going into pipes that took us, you know, into a strange world. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you just take for granted as a kid. You're like, well, yeah, they, they that's they're those characters, but they don't know that they're famous video game characters and they don't know any of the other creatures and individuals that we associate with them. No. And if that's the case, man, did they luck out in finding themselves in a magical fantasy kingdom where gold coins are aplenty and they're just floating out in the open. (laughs) So while Luigi goes to put the garbanzo beans in the soup he's cooking, Mario wraps Luigi's gift, his own special wrench, inside the now-empty paper grocery bag. So here, I was expecting this to take a gift of the Magi route. Right. But that doesn't end up being the case. What happens next is the doorbell rings, and it's a man with a long white beard wearing red long johns asking to use the <laughs> phone. Is that what Santa wears when he's out and about, or did his whole suit get stolen, too? I know. He only makes mention of the transportation, but it's like they, they literally took everything off of him. He got mugged, is what I have to assume, oh, and they man. wanted his coat. And so <laughs> they just, there he is in his long underwear. And yeah, it's really strange. You just got these skinny little legs, skinny little arms, and this huge belly poking out the middle. <laughs> uh, we know who he is, but later on we learn he's identified himself as Nick. We'll find out how their Christmas Eve turns out later, but first, it's time to meet Santa's animated counterpart in Koopa Claws. Now, evil Koopa and his troopers are up to misbehaving. They kidnapped the Prince's Mushroom Land and And we meet King Koopa, voiced by the late, great Harvey Atkin. Adam, is there anything else you know Harvey Atkin from? I don't know that I do. I mean, I know that he was a, a very established actor, but I I wouldn't be able to pull him out of a television series or anything else. Real quick, before this, he was best known as Morty the Camp Director in Meatballs. And after this, he was a judge in nine seasons of Law & Order Special Victims Unit. But I've got to mention another cartoon I sometimes watched after school. It was called Stunt Dogs. Stunt It was about a group of crime-fighting stunt performers, and Harvey Atkin was the voice of one of their enemies, Bad Year, in what was basically just this same King Koopa voice. Channel surfing after school one day, I hear this voice out of another character on another show, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. This is Bad Year. Well, stay tuned for the stunt dogs. I'll give you five bucks. Ooh, what am I saying? That's King Koopa's voice. So... Then I ended up watching like 13 more episodes of this thing that I had no intention of ever looking for. That's star power, folks. I'm the, telling they, you. they hired the right guy. Yeah. And that's weird to me. Like, Stunt Dog sounds like it's a spinoff of the Super Dave cartoon or something. It's kind of similar, but, but crime fighting, I don't remember a lot about it, and I haven't really gone back. Now I'm going to have to go down a YouTube rabbit hole just to watch <laughs> Stunt Dogs again, but... I just remember that looking through Harvey Atkins' uh, IMDb profile. I'm like, oh, that's right. But here King Koopa never called Bowser on this show. 
is dressed in a Santa Claus suit and beard and is accompanied by Randolph the Red-Nosed Triclide, who's got bicycle handlebars as antlers. That's the three-headed snake boss from Super Mario Bros. 2. Did it ever bother you that the Mario 2 enemies were here but not Wart? Yeah, I mean, he definitely, I, I mean, at the same time, I love Super Mario Brothers the most of any in the series. And so to me, it was exciting that so many of those characters got brought to life in the animated series is so much so i mean even in all the marketing it felt like at the time and all the products oh, that yeah. we're putting out it was all super mario brothers 2 related so yeah i but it was odd that wart they didn't just make him the main bad guy i think they just knew everybody knows koopa so go for it perhaps i always wondered if wart was like the horde prime to king koopa's skeletor <laughs> But he never showed up in the show. He never showed up in another game again as a bad guy, I think. He got a cameo in Link's Awakening, but that's it. So King Koopa is the green monster in charge here, and his latest plan is to ruin Christmas by putting the real Santa out of commission and delivering broken toys to the children of the world. And more specifically, he's going to freeze the North Pole. Yes! I do not understand this plan. <laughs> my, my understanding is that the North Pole is plenty frozen. And so I, I don't I don't know what he thought that was going to do. He's, I think just most specifically Santa's workshop. But yeah, that 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 declaration, I was just like, huh? I think yeah. the work's done for you, Koopa. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good point. Later, we realize he, he wants to ice bomb Santa's workshop, which is a thing that exists in this one episode. <laughs> and then kidnap the Santa Claus. Uh, but meanwhile, we catch up with Mario and Luigi along with Toad and the Princess, known then as Toadstool, traveling Bugs Bunny style to what they thought was Hawaii land, but ended up being five miles south of the North Pole. Mario's even dressed for a tropical vacation in a straw hat and Hawaiian shirt, which he wears for almost the rest of the episode and never again. Right. That was an amazing decision. I really thought he would just in a split second after they decided they're going to the North Pole, throw off his hat, pull off his shirt. And he'd have his, you know, overalls underneath, you know, but not the case. No, he keeps he keeps the short sleeve Hawaiian shirt on for the whole episode in the North Pole. Doesn't even shiver. So <laughs> uh, the voice of the princess is Jeannie Elias. Merry Christmas, Toad. After all your hints, I decided to give you just what you wanted. Who's got a long list of credits, including a bunch of voices in the original My Little Pony. She was Joey and Margaret in the Dennis the Menace to cartoon. And she was Huey in Quack Pack. Do you remember Quack Pack? Yes, I feel like it's the unsuccessful follow-up to DuckTales. <laughs> yeah. More 90s, more extreme, Quack Pack. <laughs> Didn't think Quack Pack would ever come up again. Brought it up briefly when I was talking about Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. But um, that was the first time Donald Duck's nephews each had a different voice. Huey was Jeannie Elias. Dewey was Pamela Adlin, who's famously Bobby Hill. And Louie was E.G. Daly, the voice of Tommy Pickles. What a trio. Really? Yeah. yeah. And Toad here is voiced by John Stocker, who also provides the voice of Santa Claus in this episode. My favorite time of the year! Presents! 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 For me, John Stocker's most recognizable voice was in the Care Bears as Beastly, the whiny henchman of No Heart. That's another voice that ended up in that uh, Stunt Dogs cartoon. I feel like a lot of the people in that just use voices of other characters they've already did and needed <laughs> another quick paycheck. They're like, they're like Stunt Dogs. This ain't going to be around for long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the Mario cartoons, he's also the voice of that one Koopa Troopa that hangs out with King Koopa all the time. The German-accented Mauser. And in Super Mario World, he was the caveman Ugtar. That was a strange time, that particular cartoon. <laughs> They're trying yeah. to justify why Yoshi is there and he's a dinosaur. Well, everybody else is a caveman. Which That's it. Nothing, That's... No caveman in Super Mario World. What no, are you doing? No, but Super Mario World made the mistake of calling the entire world dinosaur land where they <laughs> find themselves. And so that's what they go with for this deep cartoon. 
Actually, one fun fact, too, uh, it just says we're getting through all the vo- vo- voice talent here. Yeah, sure. I was really surprised as a kid. I just assumed that Captain Lou uh, was not doing the voice of Mario, that Danny Wells was not doing Luigi. And yet they did the voiceover work for all the series. Oh, yeah. That, uh, and went after this. And that really surprised me in my research for this episode. Because I was just like, you would think they wouldn't have time. They were just doing the live action stuff. And that was it. Because like, say with like, like I brought up uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. There were no actual wrestlers doing their own voices there, except Captain Lou, when he was on there for his cameo. No, so, it wasn't yeah. Captain Lou's voice in Rock and Wrestling. I looked that up. It's uh Oh, really? It's the... It, George DiCenzo. It's Marty McFly's grandfather. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, because it said he was listed on IMDb as having an episode of the show that he was on. I wonder if he was playing somebody else. <laughs> they just got Captain Lou to a voice. Or there might have been. Did that show have like live action segments at all? Oh, just the theme song, I thought, just at the beginning. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember. He might have, but you're right. He might have popped in as someone else, or I don't know. I don't remember how that <laughs> one went. But yeah, prolific as Mario. Way to go, Captain Yeah. Lou. But Toad is to blame for this unexpected detour to the North Pole, which we soon learn was on purpose so he could see Santa because of the other main plot point of this episode is Toad is super greedy about Christmas presents. <laughs> Yeah, especially happy, though, when he gets a I mean, it's a snowboard officially. That's what he calls it. Yeah, I mean, but don't they come up in the desert? That was the part that it seemed like they were in a desert area because everything was yellow on the ground. And then eventually they get to the North Pole. So that was another confusion to me. I was just like, so there's a desert next to the North Pole. Got it. And, And Toad can zip around on a snowboard in the sand. Okay, sure. It's friction, man. Uh, (laughs) But this is a common Christmas plot device. Greedy kid thinks it's all about getting and eventually learns to give is to experience true joy. But my goodness, Toad cranks it up to 11 here. It's pretty bad. Princess is always calling him out on it. He's like, oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) How are you guys? (laughs) (laughs) It's here. Well, Well, yeah, this first point while Toad's snowboarding. Uh, when our heroes are attacked by Koopa Claws flying overhead, his sleigh being pulled by a pair of albatrosses who toss bob-ombs down below. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Koopa Claws! Let's give them a little Christmas present to melt their frozen pipes, eh? Causing Toad to wipe out, and when he gets up, all he cares about is making sure his precious snowboard isn't damaged. And that finally sets off the princess. Don't you care if we're okay? Almost all of Toad's lines from here on out are, Boy, do I love getting presents on Christmas. <laughs> they wonder why King Koop is at the North Pole, and Mario realizes he's headed for Santa's workshop. So they rush in that direction, but too late. The entire North Pole village has been frozen solid with these ice bombs. And Koopa Claus takes off with the kidnapped Santa tied to the back of his sleigh. Mario's the quick thinker here. He spots the elves' playground, which exists. It suggests the elves are actually eternal children instead of just little people. I'm sure there are more cases where that's how the elves are portrayed, but the only other thing I can think of that comes immediately to mind is the Santa Claus. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a little odd. It gets into some child labor concerns on Santa's part. But he's like, well, technically they're 500 years old, so. (laughs) Eternal children. But Mario hatches a plan to launch a block of ice from a teeter-totter while we're back on the subject of things called other things. Um, Do you call it a teeter-totter or a seesaw like I always did? Uh, definitely a teeter-totter. I oh. think that's what I grew up with. Or at least that's how it started. And maybe, you know, I, as I learned other people called it a seesaw. But in my, in my neck of the woods, it was a teeter-totter. Oh, I grew up. I was on Team Seesaw. Well, no, not by <laughs> choice. I say that like I had a choice. No, it was my parents called it a seesaw. It was a seesaw to me. But this might be one of the earliest instances I remember hearing the word teeter-totter or the term teeter-totter. I could not find 
one of those regional maps like pop versus soda, but okay. <laughs> so teeter totter might be a West thing. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. And I think this is the scene where in the original broadcast, they played a cover of Jingle Bell Rock, but because of music rights issues, they replaced all of the pop songs with Mario themed background music. It, the later version we watched. They had a lot of good songs that they got for this series, though. My favorite being from the first episode, they had Surfin' Bird. Yeah, it's so interesting, because I, I think there were a lot of other cartoons back in the day that did that as well. Didn't, like, Pole Position and a yeah. couple others, like, that would use, like, modern pop and rock hits. Yeah. But in, at least uh, in the case of this one, and, and Captain and the Game Master also did this. And then that had kind of a special replacement clip that they used across the board. I think when in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, they varied it up a bit. But Captain N, whenever they needed to replace a pop song that they don't have the rights to anymore with other music, they just used the same music every time. And it was noticeable <laughs> and funny. Uh, it's Captain N Rock. Yeah, Woo! it was a good song. <laughs> but it feels like a long time to set up this teeter-totter ice block launch, but it's a direct hit knocking Koopa Claus and Santa out of the sky. Koopa Claus uses his now empty sack of toys as a makeshift wind sail. In hindsight, it kind of looks like the cape in Super Mario World. It's a good point. Yeah, definitely has that angle to it. And uh, so did did the hit knock out the toys? Is that what happened? Because at the beginning at Koopa's lair, he's telling all his minions to break the toys. I, I, oh. I, I love misery and everything else. So you're right. Did, so, you're right. Yeah. He emptied Santa's sack and he's bringing it along so he can put the broken toys in there. That's correct. Yeah. Thank you. Super Mario Brothers Super Show will return. This Christmas, Pepsi would like to help you celebrate the holidays with a chance of winning a present from Mario in the Pepsi Nintendo Holiday Game, where you could win one of thousands of terrific Nintendo prizes, like these action sets, game packs, and best of all, the sensational new Game Boy. So hurry up and play before it's all over. Look for details on how to win your Nintendo prize wherever you see these Pepsi holiday displays. Six great issues plus six free strategy guides on a hot new game. That's twice the power for still 15 bucks. Wow, call now. We're back, paisanos. Well, they land safely as Mario and Luigi try to stop them by throwing snowballs, but Koopa Claus catches them all in his sack and then slings it back at them before making a run for it and taking the still tied up Santa with him. Next thing we know... We see Koopa Claus at the top of a snowy hill, which he sleds down on Santa's back like a belly-whopping Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> Poor Santa. May not be as fast as Frosty, but Koopa's extra weight gives them enough of a boost to make it across a frozen lake before Mario and the gang can catch up with them. They're worried the ice might be too thin, but in one of Toad's rare non-present-related lines... If it can hold King Koopa and Santa Claus, the ice must be a hundred feet thick. <laughs> that is some little kid logic right there. And I loved it <laughs> when he said that. I was like, they're big and fat, so it must be a hundred feet deep. <laughs> so they give chase, but Koopa Claus has friends in the neighborhood and he calls his flurry pack to attack. The flurries were the bane of my existence in Mario 2. Oh, so hard to get past those guys. So slippery, that ice. Yeah, and they just, they were really racing at you in the other direction, so they weren't on the screen for a second, and you needed to be ready with that jump. I still get messed up with them, but... <laughs> Here they carve blocks of ice out of the frozen lake, not quite a hundred feet thick after all, but at least as tall as Mario which we could never get a straight answer on. So how tall do you think Mario is? Hmm, that's a good question. I always put him maybe like towards Danny DeVito height. <laughs> yeah. So like four, four something. Yeah, uh, I believe officially he's around five foot one. 
Captain Lou is 5'10", so that may be the answer here. It lines up about right with Mario as a costumed character. I haven't met him yet, but based on photos I've seen of Mario next to Reggie fils who was the president of Nintendo for years, he's 6'2". And Mario's head under his hat is a little shorter, so we'll see if they use that same costume when they build those parks at the Universal Parks around the world. There we go. But other sources trying to measure Mario in video games range from 5'1 to I saw one Reddit post claiming that he's 3'8". That's a bit <laughs> tiny. That's quite tiny, yes. Even I mean, for maybe him. before he gets a mushroom, I don't know. That could be. And with a gang, make short work of these flurries and follow Koopa Claws to a cave, which of course is shaped like a monstrous mouth with sharp teeth. We've got to go in after him. Looks pretty dark in there to me. The whole world will look pretty dark without Christmas. Yeah, what's Christmas without presents? And Santa. And they don't quite fall down into this cave as much as they bounce off in slightly angled ceiling and floor gravity's all over the place in this universe yeah it's a strange angle they present there (laughs) when they do catch up with koopa claus he's at the edge of another cliff threatening to drop santa into the icy water below suddenly the plan has switched from deliver broken toys around the world to murder santa he's a desperate man koopa yeah Uh, And this time it's the princess who tries to plead with Koopa Claus not to ruin Christmas, to which he makes his feeling known loud and clear that Christmas is a Baham Koop. I can't believe you would do that, Koopa. Doesn't Christmas mean anything to you? Christmas? Christmas is a Baham Koop. A Baham Koop. A Baham Oh, I feel like I need that's my Christmas sweater, my ugly Christmas sweater for this year. Is, <laughs> yes. Ah, I'm cope. Oh, that was good. They could make that. Stitch his face right in the middle there. Oh, make it happen. Uh, but too loudly and clearly, in fact, because it causes an avalanche. Which that's a very common trope. And while a normal human echo is not powerful enough to really trigger an avalanche, folks, King Koopa's bellowing howl might be another story. Luigi, Toad, and the princess take shelter in a cave, and Mario lasso Santa with his trusty plumber snake. That should have been a power-up. Absolutely, yeah. When I saw that come out, I was like, that's like the bionic commando tool, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you need that. He uses it a lot as a grappling hook in this series. I'm like, why didn't we get that? Let's fly with a raccoon tail, which I'm not complaining about, but give me a plumber snake. At least as a trade for the Tanuki suit, because really, what are you doing in stone form? Nothing. <laughs> you can stop on those thwomps in maybe <laughs> one level. But Koopa Claus escapes the avalanche by diving into the icy water below, emerging on an iceberg, and moping that his plans to ruin Christmas were themselves ruined. What else could go wrong? Oh, just choosing to climb onto the iceberg inhabited by an angry polar bear. They're the world's largest bear. Should have packed some Coca-Cola. <laughs> Calm that polar bear right down. <laughs> That's what it is. He sees him in the Santa Claus suit and he's like, where's my Coke? <laughs> That's it. Well, back at Santa's workshop, it's still frozen. And it appears he won't be able to thaw it in time for Christmas. But don't worry, Santa. Toad got his snowboard. I wasn't even from you. It's from the princess, but Santa in his saddest voice says, yes, it's very nice, Toad. And finally, the princess explains to Toad that nobody else is going to get anything if the toys are all frozen. And that is when Toad's heart finally grows three sizes and he offers his snowboard to Santa to give to someone. And to that, Santa replies, in all his life, he's never seen anyone express the true spirit of Christmas better than Toad just did. Really, Santa? 
I am terribly concerned. Yes, for the fa- the fate of Christmas. How has it lasted this long? There has never been the spirit of Christmas in anyone except for this little selfish boy who finally <laughs> had it click. <laughs> hey, he's a saint. He's doing the old leave ninety nine sheep to celebrate the return of one. I suppose. <laughs> but. Toad's last-minute unselfish act makes Santa's heart radiate with warmth, and that's powerful enough to melt the ice covering the workshop. So Christmas is saved. Santa offers to let Mario and the gang ride in his sleigh with him to make his rounds. And Toad gets to ride in the front seat, because he's a good guy at Christmas. (laughs) They fly off across the full moon as Santa shouts, Mario Christmas to all, and to all! Nintendo should have run with that. Yes. Why has that not been just a meme every year? We should be getting Mario Christmas to all. I don't know. I mean, they'd say happy holidays, but they Nintendo's not a company that has shied away from like saying Merry Christmas on the 25th. But I don't know. I feel like this is Avant Kelderhouse's first attempt to get merchandise out there. We got to get the Baham Coop sweater and the Mario Christmas T-shirt. Whatever you want, you got to get that done. Oh, oh dear. (laughs) All right, guess I'm starting a tea public. (laughs) Well, back to Brooklyn, Mario's sitting with his unexpected guest, Nick, encouraging him to eat a soup and offering him a second bowl that was supposed to be his own. No selfish hearts here. The Mario brothers have always been kind souls. And I didn't mention it. The actor playing Nick here is Court Falkenberg was a character actor during the 1950s and 60s, and then he had this minor resurgence in the 80s playing an unnamed old man in productions like Police Academy 6 and Freddy's Nightmares and Quantum Leap. And he also appeared in Christmas episodes of Mr. Belvedere and the Nanny, but not as Santa. So, Mm. interesting resume from this gentleman. Uh, Luigi returns from searching the neighborhood for Nick's things, but to no avail. Does Luigi know what he's looking for? Does he know he's looking for a sleigh? They kept mentioning it as his transportation. Right. They really seem to have no concept that he could even be Santa Claus. It's revealed at the end that they don't believe it. So it really doesn't make sense. What was Luigi looking for? Something that said Nick's car? (laughs) It's got vanity plate. (laughs) Mario notices Luigi's wearing socks, but gets a forget about it. I dropped him off for repairs. Uh, Luigi asks if the soup's finished, and it sure is. That was the first bowl Nick finished, and Luigi, very understanding, is fine with that. Might as well get a head start on his New Year's diet. And it's about now when the Mario Brothers self-aware cuckoo clock announces it's midnight and therefore Christmas morning. Oh, yeah! (laughs) It's a radical cuckoo clock. I kind of want one, but (laughs) my wife would smash it to bits after day two. (laughs) Mario and Luigi excitedly go to open their gifts, to which a still soup-eating Nick replies, Oh, it must be wonderful to receive presents on Christmas. And the brothers, with no second thought, immediately give their gifts to him, saying they already opened theirs. Nick is thrilled to receive Luigi's boots and Mario's wrench, saying he really could use these, and the brothers are simply happy to have helped someone in need. Now, I have to mention, I watched this on YouTube, and I put on the closed captions, and the captions have Nick saying, I really can't use these. <laughs> I oh. was like, you ungrateful. <laughs> <laughs> these Mario brothers are being so kind to you. that I, I listened. I was like, hey, maybe he's saying can. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we cut to the brothers in their old-timey nightcaps. Luigi wants to go to sleep, but Mario says first he wants to stay up and watch a preview of the real MVP of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. The Legend of Zelda. Oh, yeah. This is the Triforce of Wisdom, Link. The evil wizard Ganon has the Triforce of Power. Now, Adam, I remember you saying you're kind of lukewarm to the Zelda games, but you really like the cartoon. 
I did. Yeah. The cartoon. Well, excuse me, princess. <laughs> like I had so much fun. And yeah, the anticipation, because literally four days out of the week, they were showing you a clip yeah. leading up to Friday's episode. And you're just like, I can't believe it. It's finally here. It's Friday. It's Zelda day. And you get to watch Zelda instead of a, one of the standard Mario cartoons. And so and I, I recently, you know, just in the last year or two found in the Walmart five dollar bin, you know, the complete series. Series, the Legend of Zelda yes. DVD. I was so excited. So I mentioned the NES was my dad's, and the first other game he got for it was Zelda 2. And I've been on Team Zelda ever since. That's my absolute favorite games. And as a kid, it was all about Fridays on the Super Show, despite Link being overly cocky and very talkative. <laughs> but the previews in question are for the final Zelda Friday episode, The Moblins Are Revolting. And they sure are. Uh, but here are a couple of moblins. They overthrow Ganon and attempt to invade Hyrule Castle, but fail miserably. This episode is noteworthy in that it's the closest we see Link and Zelda get to the Triforce of Power. But Link had to go and toss the bubble-encased Ganon around like a beach ball right into the pointy Triforce, which pops him free. Duh! But then later on, when they become recurring characters on Captain N, Link has already defeated Ganon and restored the Triforce. So eventually he gets better. And he's also a little bit taller. Like, he's, yeah. like, he's got a different look to him on Captain N. So that must have been part of, you know, when the when uh, peace was restored to Hyrule, maybe there was also everybody grew a little bit taller. <laughs> <laughs> they stood a little bit taller, more proud. And he had to line them up with, like, Big, tall high school football star. Yeah. But back in Brooklyn, Luigi wakes up to find the gifts they gave to Nick are back under their tree, along with a note saying the cops found his transportation and there was a surprise under the seat for Mario and Luigi. But the note's not signed Nick, but SC. And out of the basement windows, we see a familiar silhouette in here. Ho, ho, ho. The brothers turn and ask each other, could it be, before replying together, nah, before giving each other a Christmas hug and a kiss, and that's it. A nice, quiet, very rushed Christmas. Well, and here's my question also for you, Mike, and maybe an East Coast versus West Coast thing, Oh, but the midnight opening of your presents... That was not something that I grew up with. No. And so I wonder about that. Who? I mean, I, I I assume, you know, it's maybe just, you know, kind of a, a Catholic thing. But I was just like, wow, huh. That, that was a Christmas tradition I was not familiar with, but maybe on the Italian side more so. It's definitely not a Catholic thing because I've never done it in my family. Oh. Yeah. Uh, we still don't do it. But I I've heard of people doing it as they grow up and if they spend Christmas with their family parents or something then then they would stay up until midnight but that's something i've heard of as an adult but still like not christmas morning man yeah that's what it's all about yeah and i lived in brazil for a couple of years oh, and wow. there they definitely did the midnight open up your presents for wow. christmas like you just stayed up and partied on christmas eve so well it's summer it's <laughs> a good point <laughs> <laughs> so i mean that that the days are longer. That's mm -hmm. that's where I'm getting at. We're winter. It's five days into winter, so you got really short. It, sun's going down at 3.30 already. But. Well, any final thoughts on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show? Well, here's what I'll say. You know, most of the Super Mario Bros. The Super Show live action segments, like the comedy is really goofy, very vaudeville. But for this Christmas episode, I felt like they did have a more reverent kind of somber tone for the season. You know, it really was a heartfelt relationship and brotherly love you felt with Mario and Luigi. It was really low on the jokes. And so I felt like, yeah, you know what? If, if this is as close as they were going to get to, you know, a, a special episode of Mario, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers Super Show. And, and they pulled it off. I felt like Captain Lou Danny Wells did a great job conveying that. They really did it. And again, it, it complemented uh, Toad being super greedy very, very nicely. So I'm glad I got to watch it again. Thank you for coming back on for this. 
Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, and if people want to trick you into taking a detour away from your Hawaiian vacation and up to the North Pole instead, where can they find you on the internet, Adam? Well, you can check me out on the Retro Network. I got two podcasts coming your way uh, every month and every other week. So if you enjoy comic books from the 90s, we have Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, where we're going through Wizard Magazine one issue at a time, reliving that comic book boom, all your favorite characters, the fun, the excitement. And then Sequel Quest. Yes, my ongoing podcast. Uh, personal vanity project i guess you'd call it where we create prequels sequels and reboots to your favorites or maybe my favorite film franchises <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but be sure to check it out because we have a lot of fun there and even if you go into the back catalog you will find we did an episode on super mario brothers the movie yes you did and we actually did a parody of the super mario brothers super show theme song up top so you can get a listen to that Please, please check that out. That was such a good one. Uh, and you can follow this show on Twitter at Advent Cal House and find show notes at AdventCalendar.house. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Adam Pope from the depths of a lake frozen under a five to six foot sheet of ice, depending on your source, this is Mike Westfall saying, careful not to stomp on that icy patch. And until next time, everybody, do the Mario! Swing your arms from side to side. Hey, come on, get down, do the Mario. And then again, let's do the Mario all together now. Come on now, just like that. The Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network, located conveniently at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hello, this is Todd Killiam from the Christmas Collider Podcast. What makes Christmas special to you? Is it the movies or the music, the food or family, the gifts or decorations? Maybe those quiet moments of reflection. Whatever it is, join me for Christmas Clatter, a monthly podcast dedicated to everything that makes Christmas special. Visit christmasclatter.com for all social media links and find Christmas Clatter Podcast on all podcast apps. Thank you, and remember, keep Christmas hope alive every day. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. A new wee Christmas special. Here comes. When Dinty Doyle stumbles upon the end of the rainbow. A golden Christmas dream come true. The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold.